Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Mason McDonald. And you want to listen to this story because Mason was a former hospital CEO, but he had left that role to become a full-time real estate investor. And on his first deal, he was able to make $114,000 in land flipping. And he'll share with us today on how he was able to do that. And currently, he's the CEO of RM Golden. And so we are super excited to have you on the show today, Mason. Welcome. And how are you doing? I'm doing so well, Eileen. Thanks for having me. So Mason, can you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a family, I kind of had the rich dad, poor dad. And my dad that owned commercial real estate, he wasn't very involved, but I saw what that could do. And then I had my mom and my stepdad who primarily raised me. And the route that they pushed was education, more education, get a good job, work for a stable company, put money back in your 401k, retire when you're 65. So I kind of had that dual approach growing up. I initially wanted to be a physician. I went to Baylor University, got a degree in neuroscience, took the MCAT and everything, and kind of realized I could not do it. I was feeling that need to go be an entrepreneur, a need to be a business owner. And so was able to pivot when I got my master's in healthcare administration, which I didn't even realize at the point in time that hospitals needed administrators. So it was uh, kind of a, a jarring pivot for me and my family and everything. But did it and got started in healthcare, was listening to Bigger Pockets, was listening to all of the real estate podcasts, reading all the books and everything, wanted to invest in real estate because I thought that was the long-term goal. But it's really easy to get distracted. So I started my career, worked my way up very rapidly, became an associate administrator at 23, a hospital COO at 24, and got the job offer to be a CEO at 25, 26 years old. And even though you see all of the progress and the title and the status and the income and everything like that, I was working myself to death. I was working all the time and I knew real estate was the answer. So I got started by, I met with this guy that was raising money to do a townhome development. I had about 60 grand that I had saved up, was going to put it all into this. And then he told me about land flipping. And I said, just like with my pivot to healthcare administration, I didn't know what it was, didn't know it was a thing, took a course, got started. And in November of 2021, I bought my first deal. And that was the deal that allowed me to leave my job. So I can dive into that or we can keep going on the background. No. Okay. First of all, 23, 24, you're able to get up to become a COO and then work your way up to CEO. That is incredible. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I worked in the behavioral health industry, worked for one of the largest hospital management companies and you know, I attribute a lot of that to my graduate school education. I was obsessed and focused on process improvement, evidence-based leadership. And so I was able to add a lot of value by being that the administrator that people actually liked, going out on the floor, interacting with staff, interacting with patients every single day, figuring out their pain points and how to make employees happy and how to make more money. And I don't want to say it's easy, but it's simple. If you treat your people right, they're going to do so much for you. So that's what I really did. And I was able to 
come into a relatively antiquated industry and not disrupt, but make processes more efficient to improve the bottom line and increase patient satisfaction scores and patient outcomes. And, you know, it's a fun experience and a fun journey. And I know the career trajectory was pretty rapid for me, but I owe it all to my staff that believed in me and my staff that trusted me that did what I said and trusted this new kid on the block on how to do things the right way. Did you meet with any challenges or roadblocks due to just age biases? Oh, yeah. I think I have never had a direct report that was younger than me. So I think you have to meet the individual with where they're at. If you're meeting with a nursing leader, you got to go interact with the nurses and advocate for the nurses. If it's risk management, same thing and finance and all of that. So you have to put a lot of different hats on when you're an administrator. And I think that helped prepare me for my transition to real estate because my approach is a lot different than what a lot of people do going into this industry where I think about it from a delegation application standpoint and process improvement systems rather than going in and just doing the grunt work. Because the grunt work, while it's important, you have to understand every component, but you can't do every component. You need to focus more on enabling your staff to do their job. And I think that really helped push me over the edge to get those promotions year after year after year. And I couldn't have done it without my wife either, where she supported me through all of this and supported me through grad school and supported me through the transition. So I attribute so much of that to her. But yeah, focusing on process and treating your people right, everything else comes after that. So when you bought your first deal in real estate, was that while you were still working your full-time job as a CEO or was that after you made that transition? Yeah. So I was still working full-time as a hospital CEO. I became a COO in 2020, February of 2020. So jumping into an executive position during COVID was not fun, which kind of helped push me to find a way out. But I learned about land in about July of 2021. I started campaigning and doing marketing. And then I finally closed my first deal in November of 2021. Actually, on my birthday, my I guess 27th birthday is whenever I closed this deal on the acquisition side. And my wife and I went to on vacation to St. Croix right after. And I was so stressed. I was 27. I'm in good shape. And I was hypertensive stage two. My blood pressure, I was stressed all the time. I was sleeping one to two hours a night. And when we were on the beach in St. Croix, I was still thinking about work. And it was there drinking strawberry daiquiris on the beach that we looked at each other. And it was, Mason, you have to quit your job. And I know a lot of people wouldn't do that, but to dive into a little bit of the specifics of the deal. So I bought seven and a half acres of land in Southern Colorado. I'd been talking to the owner for a few weeks and finally came to an agreement. It was three parcels, each two and a half acres. And I paid 39000 for it. So just over 42000 or right around there for the total acquisition cost. And that was scary to me. I'd saved up 60 grand. That was our savings account, our investing savings account, and almost spent all of it on my first deal. And Whenever we were in St. Croix, I was kind of looking at the parcels on the market and I saw that one parcel just south of mine, just one of them, and I owned three, sold for 150000 So I said, oh, I didn't realize quite what we had here. So whenever we got back, I put my notice in, I gave them 120 days. I ended up leaving in January, but we put it on the market. So I hadn't even sold it before I made that money, but found a realtor. We put it on the market at 200000 for all three of them, got an offer within one day. They ended up backing out whenever it went back on the market closed three days later, 185,000. So all costs in, made 114 grand on that deal and was able to relax for the first time in forever. Didn't have a job, wasn't doing anything besides this land stuff that I kind of moved slow right at the beginning. But that first deal right there really kind of set the bar really high for me where you hear about people that have grand slam deals, 
my next few deals didn't come for a few months after that because I was like, I don't want to touch anything unless I'm making six figures on it. And that was a mistake too. So how did you come across this first deal that you had for the land? Yeah. So I focus entirely on direct mail marketing. I pull lists of data where people have typically owned the property for 10 to 20 to 50 years and typically live out of state or out of county. And I send them mail, whether it's a postcard or a blind offer saying, I want to buy your land at 123 Main Street. And people sign it and send it back or call me and they want to sell their land. A lot of people inherited it or had dreams of developing it and it just never came to fruition. So being able to buy it at an extreme discount is really, really common. I never try to glorify myself for what I do. I'm just a pawn shop. That's it. I buy land for cheap from people that don't want it anymore. And I tell them, I say, hey, if you want top dollar, I'm not going to be your guy. Go to a realtor, go do all this stuff. And I can give recommendations. And I have, I have people that tell me to go away or go to heck or whatever. And other people that are like, no, man, I just want to sell this land. I just want to get rid of it. I don't want to think about it anymore. And then I give it to a realtor to sell them more. That's my whole strategy. So send them a piece of mail. They thought my offer was fair, signed it, sent it back. And we closed a few weeks later for that first deal. How did you determine what you wanted to purchase it for? So at the beginning, I didn't have the systems in place that I do now. So I used uh, Zillow.com to give me an idea of what the land was worth in the area. And I thought all of that land was worth maybe 75000 So I figured I tried to double my money just from acquisition to sale price and then take out costs. So to be honest, I wish I could say I had this great formula at the beginning, but I didn't. I thought and every night as I was sleeping, you know, and stressed about my job, I was like, well, what if it sells for 30,000 instead of when you lose money and all the fears that everyone else has? But I had an idea it was worth more because I had a lot that gave access to all the other lots. It was a kind of screwy, weird area with a lot of landlocked parcels, but I had the one that had access. So thought it was valued a little bit more. And then obviously when that other parcel sold, which it was a private sale, I saw that other parcel sold for 150,000. That obviously gave me a clear idea of my valuation was way off. So how long did you have that deal before you sold it? I quit my job in January. We put it on the market, I think in February and it sold within a few weeks after that. So I think I was too stressed with the quitting process. In Colorado, one of our sister hospitals, there were some wildfires that happened right around New Year's. Like up until when I quit, I was working 18, 20 hours a day sometimes. So hadn't really worried about it. And I don't do that now. As soon as property closes on the market within a day, usually I've already got pictures, listing, description, everything ready to go now. But yeah, I sat on it for a little while. Don't do that anymore, though. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And then how did you find the seller for your property for the first one who they ended up not closing on the deal, but then the second one following after that? Yeah. So for all my properties, I've sold a couple myself, but after I acquire them, I pass it off to a realtor. I try to create value in the community too. And my realtors, I give them enhanced compensation, obviously, because the commission is 
lower dollar amounts on land typically. So I give them 10% commission. So I don't know who the buyer was of the property. So I just give it to really well competent realtors to sell for me. So I don't have to worry about that aspect of the business. It also increases the valuation, not selling it myself and everything. I'm having a realtor with a local market knowledge to potentially already have a buyer in pocket. After that first deal, you mentioned that you weren't looking at anything that would not generate a six-figure income for you. What were the some of the criteria that you're looking for in order to meet something that would generate that same level of income? And then what kind of changed your thought process afterwards? Oh, yeah. Great question. To be honest, I changed my thought process after not getting any deals for a little while. So what I kind of realized was I worked in healthcare. It's the most regulated industry in the United States by far. I mean, the amount of regulatory bodies over our hospital is insane. So as soon as I got out, I relaxed for a little bit, kind of lounged on the couch, watched TV and enjoyed my blood pressure coming down and started working out more and everything. And then I tried to get creative. I started texting. I started calling. I started doing email and all of these different other methods of direct to seller marketing and none of it was working. So I didn't get another deal for a few months. And I was only targeting those big deals. And to target them, to me, it's just math of, okay, if property in this area is selling above 200000 I can buy for 100000 I can make close to six figures on that particular example. So once I stopped trying to overcomplicate the business and stopped trying to get overly creative and went back to direct mail, I just targeted lists or areas that I knew were producing. I had that one market that was producing for me, sent more mail back in May of 2022, I guess, and got five deals on that next mailer that made me another hundred grand, although spread out amongst five deals. And then when you were sending out your mailers, was it to a specific market or were you sending out to multiple different markets? Yeah. So at the beginning, I stuck to one market that I knew pretty well and I did just blind offers. And what that means is I'm putting a dollar amount on the actual... It's a purchase agreement that I'm sending in the mail. So I started in that one market and then I felt like I tapped it out and I started moving to other markets. And now I'm at a place where I have the systems in place to send neutral letters. I mean, I'm the guy that's sending those postcards in the mail saying, we buy land for cash or stop paying your property taxes and get paid for your land stuff like that. Because I've got a full-time acquisitions manager that's handling all the inbound leads and the calls because you're going to get a greater response to neutral letters than blind offers. Say you misprice a piece of mail way too high, way too low. People either think it's a scam or be insulted by it. And then you miss out on a lot of potential sellers and everything. So now I've expanded all over my homes here in Colorado and then in Arizona as well. And looking to get nationwide next year or two as we figure out each individual state's market. Can you dive into it a little bit more? What you've been putting into like the blind offers versus the neutral offers? And can you expand on why one works a little bit better than the other? Yeah. So I'll give the simple answer and then the more complex answer. Whenever you're pricing, you're trying to figure out what the average dollar amount per acre per square foot is for a particular market, there's an insane amount of variation. And for anyone in healthcare manufacturing, I've got a Lean Six Sigma black belt. I'm obsessed with reducing variation and increasing efficiency, reducing waste. So think about your own neighborhood and your neighborhood houses might be worth 500000 but the next neighborhood over, they're worth $1.5 million. So if you are pricing it based on you're looking at comps of recent sales, Redfin or Zillow or one of those MLS websites, and you're attempting to price mail in bulk, you're going to be drawn to doing it at the city level, the county level, or the zip code level. And there's just too much variation to effectively price that. So if you're targeting offering 50 cents on the dollar, 50% of what the anticipated sale price is, it takes a long time because you have to go neighborhood by neighborhood to do it. And I am lazy. And anytime that I get bored or tired, I just don't do it. 
So that's kind of what pivoted me to doing the neutral letters. So one of the pros, or to go a little bit more into the blind offers pros of it, if you price it effectively, like it's so easy. I mean, I've got, I'll show you right here. Like I've got a stack of these. They come back in droves all the time. Don't really do that as much anymore. Like I said, so if you price effectively, you can get it signed back. You know that you sent a good letter. You can just submit it, execute the agreement, submit it to title just like that. Done. Cons of it, you overprice and people, you lose deals that you might've gotten if you went in a little bit lower or something like that. You can always negotiate from there too. Or you go way too low, which is the worst thing you can do. Because if you get way too low, your response rate is going to be zero. If you offered 20000 on a piece of land worth $400,000, they are going to shred that thing, call you to cuss you out, and then go home. But with neutral letters, you're able to send mass mail in bulk. You don't have to worry about pricing it. You're just able to send effective marketing campaign to hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people. So to me, it's about getting the lead in. I've got someone that's managing the phone for me. And it makes it so much easier. So it's about volume and rather than conversion rate for me now. So do you focus primarily on the neutral offers now and not anymore on the blind offers? Yes, I almost entirely do neutral. I'll do blind offers if I find like a new market that's really interesting for me that I really want to focus on. I help people get started and land as well. And I teach the blind offer process at first, not necessarily because I recommend it. But for the busy professional, you don't want the phone ringing all day. Your phone's going to be ringing all day if you're sending neutral letters. So with the blind offers, I teach new people. That's what you should do because it teaches you how to value land very appropriately. But for me now, it's just neutral letters. So when you're consolidating or when you're compiling your list to send out to different sellers, what is the criteria or what are you looking for in order to be able to choose and pick a property that meets your criteria to acquire? Oh, yeah. So... My criteria has changed drastically over the last year and a half to my criteria now is does it make me money? But getting started, I focused on residential, but more rural, vacant land, minimum of 10 years of ownership, out-of-state, out-of-county owners owned by individuals, not corporates or not corporations, also in, or owned by individuals or trusts, not corporations. And that's what I got started doing. You're going to find the guy, especially out here in Colorado, the guy that came out here with his wife 30 years ago wanted to build a cabin, got older, just wants to get rid of the land. So I always do it by ownership is the main thing I look for now is people that have owned the land for a long period of time, because they're the ones most likely to get rid of it. So Mason, I have to ask, when you made that decision to switch over from healthcare into full-time real estate, what other types of things in your mind did you have to overcome and battle to be able to make that decision, especially going from such a solid career, stable career. And some people would say you've made it to the top because you can't go any higher than the CEO at that point. Yeah. First and foremost, like I'm grateful for my wife. She's a software engineer. So she's got a stable job where we live off her salary and we're able to keep everything in the business besides the occasional treat here and there, which has allowed it to happen. So I never give those answers of like calendar management. It's like uh, spousal support is how I did it. But some of the biggest challenges for me making the transition is when you're an executive, you have to operate with an executive mindset. And it's very different when you're answering the phone with unsophisticated sellers that are not used to managing these huge business transactions or huge operations that I'm used to. So you have to lower your language down a little bit and adjust that. But I think the biggest challenge, first and foremost, for me was I had hundreds of employees and I didn't have any employees whenever I first got started. So yeah, as I was building the business and coming up with ideas and pricing mail, sending mail, every aspect from market selection to disposition, sale of a property, I'd be like, man, someone needs to do this. 
And I'd look around and I'd be like, well, that's me. And I learned pretty quickly. I'm a pretty bad employee, decent boss, but bad employee. And that probably makes a lot of people cringe, but you have to figure out what you're best at. And what I'm best at is setting and executing on a large vision where I've taken this company and where I set metrics that make me very uncomfortable. Our metric for Q2, we operate in 12-week sprints type of thing or 12-week years, which is a great book. And for Q2, our goal was to create $500,000 of net revenue in the pipeline, kind of in our accounts receivable, because it depends on when properties sell. And it's May 15th, and I think we're there already. So, and initially going into this year, that was my annual goal. And then if you make yourself really uncomfortable and set up super high vision, my acquisition manager started in April and we've already done it almost. It's pretty cool. So what's next for you, Mason? Yeah, I think for me, grow and develop this business. We'll hit seven figures net this year, which is exciting. I'd like to get it to 10 figures net. I'm buying commercial real estate, bought my first building last year. I'm still in renovation, problem with the small towns in Colorado, but investing in commercial real estate. And I'm having a ton of fun. I just started coaching people on how to do this. I take people one-on-one through my business from start to finish for their first deal, give them access to all my documentation, internal resources. I'm extraordinarily extroverted. I love networking. I love talking to people and coaching is giving me that. So I don't do it from like a guru standpoint. I'm working on creating a community of like-minded people and having one employee and he's doing all the work now, having fun teaching people how to do the same thing that I'm doing. So Mason, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Yeah. I mean, it's completely changed it. I was just like you said, at the pinnacle of my career for the most part at a pretty early age, but I was dying. My body was shutting down. And so I'm healthier than ever. I'm happier than ever. Assuming my wife's employer is not listening, she'll be able to retire this year in her 20s. And it gives us a lot more freedom and geographical freedom and everything that everyone talks to that they're getting to do the live life on their own terms. And that's what it feels like I'm doing. So having a ton of fun doing it. And we don't have kids yet. We just have two dogs, but getting to take them out to cool pieces of land and travel more. Life is amazing now because of real estate. What is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I think don't be lazy with your due diligence. That is the one thing that can cause you to really lose money in this world, whether it's single family homes, apartment complexes, or pieces of land where if you're not doing your due diligence and making sure that your exit strategy is what your exit strategy actually is, that's how you can lose money in this business. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? It's a lame answer. It's just taking action. I think so many of us out there, why well, I say us, I'm not a perfectionist by any means, get 80% of the way there and just do it. It's so easy. There's so many people that are making millions and millions of dollars that to the listeners, especially of this show, you're smarter than them. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but lower your risk aversion or lower your risk a little bit or raise your risk, whatever you need to do to take successful and meaningful action. So just go out there and do it. Awesome. Mason, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. Easiest place to find me is LinkedIn, just Mason McDonald. You'll see my headshot on there. Can't find me on there. Go to coachingwithmason.com. It's a new website, but you'll be able to put your information in there. Obviously, no obligation or pressure to sign up. I love talking with people about real estate. So put your info in there and we'll hop on a call and talk. Awesome. Mason, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us today. Eileen, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. 
If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.